This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you shop at a Walmart Vision Center, you get it. You know that you'll spend a little less on stylish glasses for the whole family. Welcome to the Vision Center. Let me know if you need help finding the perfect frames. Hey, Mom, you were right. These glasses are cool. Hon, they take our insurance. That means Papa's getting a new pair, too. Whoa, glasses start at just $39. Next stop, groceries. So you can get a little more of what you need. Find a Vision Center near you. Save money, live better. Walmart. Welcome to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman, and co-hosting with me today is Max Cohen and Mike Gregg. This is our post-match show of the 2-2 draw for Fulham against Brighton Hove Albion. This show, however, will be a little bit different as we have a special guest, and that is Simon Cox joining us, and he does the fans' verdict for Brighton Hove Albion, which you can read at the Daily Mail. He's on to give us his perspective on this match, so we will have both fan perspectives on Brighton Hove Albion versus Fulham. All right, guys, we have a lot to talk about. Before we do anything, I have to welcome everyone to the show. First, Mr. Greg, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well, Russ. Looking forward to talking about a, a good game yesterday and, uh, and uh, you know, it'd be interesting also to hear from a, a sort of bright and view as well. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to the show. I am too, and you were there, so we'll get a firsthand uh, view from you, and I look forward to hearing what you have to share. Let me introduce Max back to the show. You did the full-time show with me. Max, it's good to get you back on. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. It almost feels like a whole different lifetime, that full-time show yesterday. So much time analyzing, rewatching the match, and hopefully I, have some new insights here. Yes. Well, I rewatched it first thing this morning, and I think I picked up some things. That's why I like watching it back again. And doing the post-match show a day later, I think, is actually better. So I'm, I'm glad that we're doing it this season like this because I think I get something more out of it, and I can share more to the show. All right. Well, last but certainly not least is our guest, Mr. Simon Cox. Simon, welcome to Cottage Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Hey, it's entirely my pleasure, my, pleasure, my friend. I'm looking forward to the chat, and uh, I'm talking to you today from a very, very sunny south of England. It's almost Californian weather here. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. 
That's a very interesting. Simon, I'm going to start with you because I want to get your perspective on this match. Just give me your overall view on what you watched at the MX yesterday from a Brighton and Hove Albion perspective. Right. Well, let me tell you something. This is one of those very strange games. Well, I don't think any of the fans in the stadium will have been happy. I know that Fulham <laughs> fans will not have been happy after 2-0 up being pegged back for 2 all. But I, as an Albion fan, I'm not happy either because we had you on toast for the first 20 minutes. We were all yes. over you. And the penalty, the moment we've missed that, obviously there were a couple of chances before, but the moment sure. we missed the penalty, our, our heads dropped and we gave you the initiative. So I'm unhappy, you're unhappy, but at the end of the day, a point's got to be okay, hasn't it? <laughs> That's a very interesting way to look at it, that both fan bases are not happy because both would want more from this match. It's a very interesting way to look at that. Let me go to one of my co-hosts first, Mr. Cohen. What are your thoughts about what Simon had to share in your opening thoughts on the match? Yeah, I, I, get, I can see where Simon's coming from with both of us not being happy because, of course, no one likes to give away a 2-0 lead no matter where you are. But I think Fulham uh, probably the happier of the two fan bases considering it's a draw away from home and considering what Brighton have done to big teams there in the past looking at the Man United result just a couple of weeks ago, that's the big reference point for me, is that if big teams like United are going to go there and struggle, I think we can be relatively happy with the draw. Okay. And I'm going to ask this to you again. We talked about this on the full-time show. Before the match, would you have taken the draw? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, I would have taken a draw. But if you had told me would have lost it from being 2-0 up with just under half an hour to go, I would have been devastated. And honestly, I was still a little bit devastated giving away that 2-0 lead. Sure. But all things considered, I think four points from our first four matches is not terrible. And I think this is something to build on. It's a positive result, all things considered. Totally agree there, Max. Mr. Greg, you are at the MX Stadium. Share your opening thoughts on the match. And also, if you want to comment on what Simon had to share, do you agree with him? Um, I don't know if unhappy is the right word. Certainly disappointed. But, you know, I think any of us would have taken a draw um, you know, if you gave it to me before the game. So, uh, and I thought it was a, a fair result on reflection. Um, but yeah, no one wants to give up a two-goal lead. But we could have been, you know, one down and if not a few more because that first 20 minutes, uh, Brighton were the better side. And Absolutely. For, for long spells of the game, you know, we were, you know, in our own half and, and defending. So, uh, like I say, I thought it was a fair result in the end. Okay, very good. Simon, back over to you because here we are. We're talking about going into the match because it's an away match, going to Brighton, and how difficult Brighton are to play at the MX Stadium. I believe they have not lost since January, if I remember correctly. Someone told me that. So that's our perspective. Before the match, were you looking at it like us, or were you looking at it that Brighton Hove Albion needs three points? Yeah, to be honest, I was. You target every game, don't you, individually, the ones you expect to win, the ones you're happy with a draw, and obviously where, where you know that you're up against it and anything more than, than a defeat would be a bonus. But trouble with um, trouble with our million home games is because we did beat Man United, it's only fair, isn't it, to presume that we can beat Fulham. Uh, but unlike Man United, we didn't score in the first 20 minutes. You saw what we did in the first 20 minutes, yes. and we created... A lot of chances, but if we if we don't score in that first 20 minutes, we tend to then sort of drop deeper. It's it's inexplicable and it's sometimes frustrating. But I guess a lot of a, a lot of teams do it, and and the penalty miss, you know, your heads came up, and uh, it was a good game after that. 
Uh, very good point. And we're going to go through that when we uh, talk about the first and the second half. Obviously, what, what your thoughts on the first 20 minutes when we get there. But, guys, let's start here because I always like to start before the match when we talk about the starting 11. And, Simon, I want to get your thoughts on Brighton starting 11 in just a second. But, Mike, I want to start with you because there were some very interesting decisions made with the starting 11. So I want your thoughts an hour before the match. What was going through your mind when you saw it? Yeah, when we saw the team come up, I was um, I was surprised to see uh, Joe Bryan dropped. And, uh, you know, we weren't sure if Marchand was going to play at left back or though he maybe go to left back. But uh, yeah. uh, so, so that was a surprise. I wasn't disappointed to see... Uh, Frank going to the midfield. I've been saying that leading up to the game. And and the front front three, you know, had to stay the same. So it was it was just just the Marchand one, um, and probably a very again starting. But then you also had the you know Alfie Mawson coming in after his uh, you know his debut midweek, uh, where he looked a bit rusty. And so it's a bit of a surprise to see him start. So again, it's the back four, which is a, a bit of a a lottery at the moment who it's actually name, but yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the talk before the game between fans was they could sort of understand why why Marchand was going to play, uh, considering who he was up against. Um, but it, it all felt a bit hard on Brian. So uh, uh, yeah, it was, that was that was the surprise really for us. Okay, very good, and it's funny because uh, I had mentioned that I thought it was a mistake, Mike to not start Joe Bryan, but uh, someone came back to me on Twitter, I believe it was Sean Waller, that said, in his opinion, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have his tweet, that uh, it had to do with balls in the box, the height of uh, Lamarchand compared to Bryan. Is that where you think this was all going with the decision for Slavisa? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think that, you know, the way the game played out, you could see that was the plan defensively, but as we'll probably talk about later, that restricted us in uh, the more advanced totally position. So, uh, so you strengthen one part of the uh, the pitch, but you weaken another, and it's trying to That's find right. that balance. And so, you know, some conclusions have been made from seeing Marchand play there yesterday. Okay, very good. And that's the way I was looking at Mike. I'm glad that you analyzed it that way. In one part of the pitch, you're strengthening, but in another way, you are weakening yourself, and that. It's difficult because you need to get that balance right. Very good analysis by yourself, my friend. Max, over to you. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the critique uh, we saw on Twitter was that, and you guys just talked about, was that we had Blue Marchand in there to kind of combat the aerial presence of Brighton. But when you play a left back um, like Le Marchand, I think in multiple occasions in the match, he was easily beaten on the wing, allowing the Brighton wingers to get service in. So in that way, it kind of backfired, I think, because – we let Brighton have more crossings in the box because we're playing a less mobile, uh, less pacey, less agile player on the left side of defense. So although he might have contributed um, some occasions when he's in the box kind of covering when the cross is coming in from the other wing, when the ball is on his wing, I thought he got beaten a number of times far too easily. So, you know, he has that duality of you're going to you know sacrifice pace um, and a bit more mobility to have more aerial presence. And in the end, I don't really think it was the right decision from Slavisa. I don't think Joe Bryan did anything wrong to deserve himself getting dropped for the match. Um, and I think we'll probably see Bryan start uh, next match, I'd, I'd say. Okay, excellent there. Simon, over to you 
want your thoughts on Brighton Hove Albion starting 11. And uh, if you want to chime in on what we're talking about here, feel free to as well. Yeah, well, no problem. I mean, as for our starting 11, currently they're picking themselves. I was uh, I was there at the Amex on Tuesday. We played Southampton in the Carabao Cup. And uh, Lack and Bash and, and, um, and the lad up front, Lacadia, we paid over 50 million for those two. And I've got to be honest, they look lazy. Uh, and the problem is, I don't know if you've ever had this at Fulham, but players come in, they're big in their own country, we pay big money for them, and they don't know quite what they're coming to in English football. And they, they sort of don't realise you have to work your socks off to win the fans over. You can't just expect the ball to land on your toes. So they never did enough against Southampton to, to give themselves a chance of being picked. So I team, I was pleased with the selection. As regards your team, Fulham, I never really look at the opposition because I take each match as it comes. But in my dream team, we all do dream teams, I'm sure you boys do. But I have Sessegnon in my dream team. I expected him to take the premiership by storm. Um, and he's on the bench the last couple of games, which has really yes, kind yes. of knocked my points down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Very good there, Simon. Very interesting take. Mike, I want to go back to you because uh, I want your thoughts on Sessegnon because we're talking about the starting 11 that Simon was just talking about because I was – Think about how is Slavisa going to decide what to do. I didn't think that you could drop Vieto. So, again, you have Sessegnon coming off of the bench. And I also want to ask you this because I've been on Twitter and I've been thinking about this a great deal about the loss of Tom Kearney. I thought this is something that we could overcome, honestly. I, I thought that Fulmer more built this season than last season to overcome his loss. I think they missed him yesterday. That's my opinion. What are your thoughts on Sessegnon and also on Kearney? Well, I think Sessegnon, as I've said on the show and, and also written on Twitter as well, is that, you know, he's um, he's not that kind of player who's going to take people on. We did see him have his chance yesterday, but, you know, when he's out wide, he's not a, a natural wide winger in that sense. And, um, you know, following last week, you can't drop that front free, so he's going to have to get used to... Um, you know, fighting for a place, and whereas last year, you know, he was one of the first names on the sheet. But, uh, you know, there is a possibility, of course, that, you know, we might see him at left back even uh, right. a bit more this year. So it's um, after his wonder season, if you like, of last year, he's going to have to, and, and the fans are going to have to, get used to more competition um, and having to play at a higher quality. That's absolutely, you, you you can get away with things in the championship you can't get away with in the Premier League. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all their education for him. And, you know, must always remember he's still only 18. And as for uh, Kearney, I mean, you're going to miss him and, um, you know, and what he brings to the team. And, you know, we were looking at McDonald's sitting and Syrian Kearney last week. And yes, yesterday, Frank came in. You know, he's been brought as, Maybe not competition, but you know that kind of defensive midfielder. Right. But I think he has he has the attributes to play more advanced. We saw that in in that position yesterday. It didn't work even yesterday as much as I wanted it to. Right. But I still think he has enough in him um, to play that role. And it, very similar to the defence and and all the new players and the churn we've had over the summer. It's going to take time for some sure. of these players to learn to play together. But there was enough interaction between McDonald, Siri, and Frank to uh, you know, keep things going. Okay, very good, Mike. And what's 
Interesting, and I'm just going to share this about Nguisa because I'm still very high on him. I see him as a defensive midfielder, but like you said, he does have the ability potentially to play another role, to be more offensive. And to be fair to him, he actually made the pass to Seri, which set up the first goal. Go back and watch it. He's part of that whole situation, so I want to give him credit for that, for that situation. And uh, like we're all talking about, this is a work in progress, and we have so many different players and all learning to play together. So my advice is just be a little patient and understanding on it. But it's also good that we should talk about it because I was thinking about was there a loss to Kearney? I think there was, but I think it's understandable when you have someone new coming in to play a little bit different role than he has already for Fulham, even though he, I believe he did play that role a little bit in the last match. All right. All right, guys, let's get into this. Let's look at the first half. And, um, Simon, I'm going to start with you because let's just look at the first 20 minutes. I, I will just mention a couple of uh, moments for Fulham, and then uh, I, I want your thoughts on from your eyes on how Brighton started the match because I truly believe they started off real well and were dominating the play. But Fulham did have a couple of opportunities. They had a, a tame shot in, in the ninth minute from Surrey. And then you have a, a decent opportunity from Fulham with the header from Mitro in the 16th minute. Those were the two highlights for Fulham, but... Overall, Simon, I thought that you dominated the play for the opening stages of the match. That's the way I look at it. So you've already talked a little bit about it. Talk about it through your eyes. You're absolutely right. Well, I don't think there's been a game at the Amex against anybody. Maybe Man City in the first ever Prem game. But other than that, where well, we haven't dominated the first 20 minutes, we're so strong. And, it, and it, if we don't score during that, if we do score during that time, we go on to win the game. I mean, you probably saw Man U game on telly. Yes, you I did. won that game in the first half. Um, I'd like, also, I'm fascinated by the comment of your correspondent there. I've got to say, you're playing Session Young at left back. Surely that's a bit like asking George Michael to sing backing vocals. So take that. <laughs> I, I, I can't understand that at all. But that's that's from an outsider's point of view. It's fascinating. Anyway, first half, we had you... On toast. I felt your defence that wobbly. You've got a great midfield, you've got great attack, but defensively, you're wobbly. And we didn't push it. We didn't push the advantage. So missing a penalty never helps. But after right. that, when we have a moment like that at the Albion, our confidence is sometimes a bit paper thin. And we can look brilliant, like we do against Man U. But then one penalty goes away, and suddenly, it's almost like you sense that our heads have gone down and your heads came up. And suddenly your creative players started hanging on to the ball rather than getting rid of it quickly. And we lost the midfield. Okay, very good. That's a very interesting take. Max, I'll go to you first. I want your thoughts on what Simon had this year and, of course, yourself, because that's going to lead to talk about the penalty in the 24th minute and uh, Pascal Gross's shot was saved by Bettinelli. Fantastic. But was this a huge change in... Uh, direction of how this match was going to Simon's point that that this penalty that they missed might have changed the game at that match so I'm curious your thoughts on his take and and your thoughts on how the momentum changed yeah I think it's definitely a turning point uh the safe penalty because once you have the momentum of denying another team such a clear shot at goal and when they're expected to score that's when we started to really play uh towards the end of the first half our style of football um Ben Nelly cannot be underestimated in how crucial of a moment that was. Because if you go 1-0 down at that stage of the match with Brendan dominating, I think we probably wouldn't have gotten any points out of that match. It probably could have been 2-0, 3-0 at that point. But just that save gave so much of the other team confidence. And it's so much of what Ben Nelly brings to the team in my mind. 
is that not only does he have um, his amazing skills to save that goal and also uh, control a penalty area, but what he also brings is an assurance and uh, confidence to that back four, to the whole team in general, which is why I think when he returns to the team, results usually start to pick up. So he's a very key player for me, and I think he's right to be criticized for his distribution. But overall, I think when, he, when he's returned to the team, the team's done better, and that penalty save is a big part of it. Um, and I agree it is a big turning point of the match. Yeah, momentum changed at that point, and it's very interesting to hear Simon share that. And, Mike, I want to go to you. First of all, I want your thoughts on what Simon and, and of course, Max shared, but I want to go back to the penalty because it's a situation where if you watch Glenn Murray enough, you know that he's crafty. He can cause issues for you, especially in the box. And Vieto goes right up to him and, again, you watch it back. I think it's a dive. That's just my opinion. Simon, you might disagree with me. I've watched it back a few times. I think he forced the issue. I think Vieto was there. But to the credit of uh, Glenn Murray, I mean, this is what he does. And uh, I want your thoughts because you probably got a decent view of this. What, what do you make of the whole situation and how Vieto handled it? Because it's something that could happen in the future, obviously. First of all, I'd, I'd say it is a penalty from my point of view. Yes. And most, most of us who are in the, in sure. the end there. No question about call, that. Call it's call a penalty. penalty. I, I will agree with that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting that both penalties yesterday were given away by strikers. So, you know, strikers tackling in, in the box, it's not their natural forte. Um, so, and it, it was a clever move, you know, yes. which, which led to the penalty. So I've got no arguments with that. But, um you know, he's a clever striker. As anyone who saw him, well, you you wouldn't have seen it, but match of the day last night <laughs> showed what Murray's like. So uh, it's, um, uh, yeah, it was frustrating. It's frustrating. I mean, but to be, fair, to be fair, going back to how the game started, I mean, for the first 15 minutes, it, it was fairly even. With, but, you know, Brighton had more territory. And then we got more into the game. And so, you know, 1-0... Would have would have you know been a terrible start for us in, in so many ways. But Betts made a good save, um, and there's been discussions today and yesterday continually about Bettinelli and uh, the goalkeeping situation. But um, you know it, it was a good save and, and, and kept us in the game. And yep. you know it's uh, it's frustrating the, you know to give away that penalty. But uh, you know if you go back all over <laughs> all through our goals this year. So far, we could uh, make a case for saying none of them should be conceded. But um, you know, to be fair, I thought it was, it was if Brighton had been in the lead, it, w- it would have been fair at that moment. Yes, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that, Mike. Simon, I want to go back to you. I I know you might think it's harsh by me calling it, but I watched this in slow motion a great deal, and I'm actually giving credit to Glenn Murray because he is crafty. I think that he forced the issue, went over the leg of Vieto. Vieto was there, and it's a penalty because it's going to be called every single time. So that's where I'm going on that. You know, that's just my view on it. I want to go back to you. You might disagree with how I'm looking at it. <laughs> you expect me to be angry with your view, but you're spot on. The thing about Glenn Murray is he's 35 years old, right? And he's still yeah. scoring goals in the premiership. And you don't do that by being quick at 35. You do it by being crafty. Yeah. And he's... He's not a cheat. He's not like Ashley Young at Man U who dives. You know what I mean? Proper right. dives at least a yard away from somebody's foot. He'll have a dive. 
What Brendan Murray does is he knows exactly how to draw the foul. And what he did was he drew right. the foul. It was a foul. It was a penalty. But it's soft. If it happened against Brighton, I'd be furious. I'd be happy to jet him. <laughs> because it's Len Murray. It, it's what he does. Yeah. And that's a good way to look at it. And so maybe my wording on it, dive, is a little bit different. Like you said, forced the foul. And that's exactly what he did. That's a, that's a yeah, very good way yeah, to look at it. That's a way to, yes, he caused the foul. He did. He did. He totally did. That's a that's a great way to kind of get around that whole situation. It's, I'm glad that I'm talking to you about this, Simon, because I've been looking at it so many times. I'm thinking it's a dive. But the way you described it is actually much more accurate. So you've corrected me. There's a Goldman for Russ. Thank you. All right. No, let's move no, on. Listen, no problem. Glenn, Glenn Murray, you can't get a 35-year-old striker in the Premier League <laughs> who isn't crafty. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on. And, Mike, I want to go to you. I know you were probably pretty far to see the goal. But um, uh, let's go further in because it's very interesting how Simon said this because this was a, a lost opportunity for them. Now Fulham are starting to come more into the match. And then, of course, they get the opportunity late in the first half in the 43rd minute. You have the goal by Sherla, but this has a lot to do with the passing that leads up to it. It's it's a fantastic goal from Sherla, but Seri's pass. And like I mentioned, Anguisa's pass to Seri and Mensa's pass to Anguisa. It was a whole link-up play that was actually very good. I want your thoughts on the goal, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I mean at the far end we you know we couldn't really see it see it fully what Siri did until I saw it on the replay I didn't realize what a what a lovely little dink it was uh, oh fantastic and Sherla's run you know um but the lead up to it again is, is just classic Fulham isn't it you know the, the quick quick passing that type of stuff and I mean in that 15 minutes that last 15 minutes of the half uh you know certainly possession wise we dominated I mean I I did some uh, analysis of it earlier today and you know in that last 15 minutes we had the ball we touched the ball 130 times and Brighton touched it 70 times so uh, you know that shows how you know dominant and how how much of the ball we had and we were in control really for that last 15 minutes so it was a deserved goal um you know following the, the earlier penalty saves so to go in one nil, uh, very happy indeed, and uh, you know it's uh, on that last fifteen minutes deserved. But so uh, yeah, I mean, Siri, his his passing has already shown in in these four games what a class player he is, and the reaction of most fans I was talking to yesterday is uh, you know let's hope uh, you know no one comes calling in January or, or next summer for him already because he we have stolen from the big clubs, a very good player there. Totally agree, Mike. He's special. You can already see it. That's a very good way to put it. Max, over to you. Your thoughts on the goal. Yeah, you guys mentioned all, all, all the key points. And also, Anguisa, uh, the pass to Seri to set that up, that's not an obvious pass. I think he really saw a gap where not many players would have seen that. And that's encouraging for me because... Yes, Anguisa, that's why I wanted yeah, to mention yeah. the pass by Anguisa. Yeah, because credit to him, he's not given as much credit for being a ball-playing midfielder. He's a much more ball-winning midfielder, I see him as. So that uh, good attacking intelligence will, I think, be beneficial for him in the future. He shows he can kind of play in the attacking third as well. Um, and then Seri scooped balls. Just, that's, that's audacious. And Sherla timed his run brilliantly. I was watching it back, and so this is what he's so good when he's playing on the left wing. Um, he loves to drift in. 
And it gives defenders such a nightmare because he kind of started his run, stopped it. And then Sari just, I think they must have just caught each other's eye for the split second before because they're in perfect tandem, totally in sync. And when Shirley's in that uh, area with only Matt Ryan to beat, that's a tough finish to make. That's not an easy finish because the ball is bouncing. He has to control it uh, first time and then and try to hook it past Ryan, and he did that brilliantly. So that was just such a satisfying goal to watch. It was like the ultimate Fulham goal for me, combining all the good runs, passing movement, and everything. Um, and it was just the perfect time to score it as well, right before halftime. Okay. Simon, over to you. It's very interesting because I want to go back to what you said earlier in the show. Is this what we're talking about with Brighton Hove Albion? You have this domination and you don't get the goal. And uh, this kind of vindicates to me what you're talking about with Brighton Hove Albion. If they don't get the goal, they might have that opportunity to go against them. And that seems like what happened here. So does this vindicate your view on your team? Because I think it does. It does, it does. But he also credit to you that that goal you scored. I mean, for a home fan, you call it a sloppy goal. But as far as you were concerned, it was brilliant. It was good football. Yep. I love good football. I'm an Albion fan. I love the Albion, I love good football. And he played good football for that goal. If that had been Hazard and Chelsea, they'd have been crying about it for longer. <laughs> um, so you've got some great players. Midfield and up front, you've got some great players. Yep. But it's your defence where you have problems and we didn't exploit it because of that very thing. Heads go up and go down. It's only yep. human beings, isn't it? 11 human beings against another 11. And and things give you confidence. I mean, if you're a radio show, if, that, if you have a good show, you know, you feel great. And it's the same with football. The moment you miss a penalty, you feel crap. It, it doesn't matter if, you know, if you're a multi-million pound international footballer, the heads go down. And the moment you started playing football like you do at home, you had us on toast. And then the moment you got a two-goal lead, you then became... Well, anyway, we'll talk about the second half in a minute, but you see yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, this, it's, this, it's this heads up, heads down. It's the belief, yeah. and it makes it so fascinating. But there's no doubt, listen, I'm a Brighton fan, but yours was a good goal. Your first oh, one, fantastic. second one, scrappy. First one was a good goal. Okay, very good there, my friend. All right, let's now move to the second half. I'm going to go right back to you, because here we are talking about heads dropping. So I want to ask you about this, because... We have the situation in the 56th minute. This is the opportunity for Brighton Hove Albion to get the equalizer from Sully March, and uh, he should have scored here, Simon. So is this what we're talking about? Was this an after effect as well as the heads potentially could have dropped again missing this opportunity? Um, no, no. I think creating opportunities is what it's all about. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're on the park on a Sunday morning or playing professional football, you'll always catch one wrong and put it in the stands. But as long as we kept creating opportunities, we were going to come back. Um, okay. March, he has to carry on. You know, all players, they're going to make, miss up. They're going to shin one. They're going to make a mistake. But it was we were getting in behind you, you know. To be honest with you, the way I look at the game in retrospect is if we'd attacked for 90 minutes, we could have won 4-5-1. But what we did was every time we attacked and didn't succeed, we then dropped back and we gave you too much of the ball and you got some good players. So it was only when 2-0 down we really, really woke up. And scoring those two goals was actually relatively easy. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Fulham, but when yeah. we did wake up, we showed we could get in behind you. But why wait until the 70th minute? That's a very interesting take there, my friend. All right, Mike, back over to you. Let's talk about the goal from Mitrovic. You probably got a good view of this. This was a long kick out from Marcus Bettinelli. And uh, 
this was a, a great battle all match with him and Lewis Dunk. And uh, Nitro got the best of him here, took a shot. It's saved, but it comes back to him, and he puts it in the back of the net and foam go up. 2-0. Your thoughts on the goal from Mitrovic? Yeah, well, this is what Mitrovic gives you. And, um, you know, it's interesting the two teams yesterday both playing with a sort of stronger forward, you know, instead of yeah. the sort of modern way of, uh, you know, nippier, sort of more agile players. So in that respect, we were very similar yesterday. But, um, you know, this is the Mitrovic we like, someone who's strong, you know, he's willing to go out wide, battle with the centre-backs or the, or the you know, the full-backs. Um, he uses his strength and it's a good old-fashioned sort of, you know, uh, battle between two players. He, he gets in the box and you feel very confident when he's in those kind of positions that he's going to get a shot off. Um, when you're at a game and you see other players have a shot and he's standing there, he's the first to moan, but quite frankly, he's going to take a shot every time. Sure. And I thought Ryan saved it well, and uh, you know, but it came back quick reactions and you know, with his right foot, he, he puts it in and we're two up right in front of the Fulham fans and uh, you know, we're singing Mitrovic on fire and all that, and uh, we're feeling it 2-0, even on, what was it, an hour just after the hour? Yep, 60 but, seconds. You know, that game is ours, and, uh, you know, it was uh, typical Mitrovic, really, using all these attributes, but, uh, you know, we we couldn't hold it off for much longer, really, but, um, yeah, we would, that first 15 minutes in that second half, we, we would fairly even with Brighton and we were just starting to get more into it and so the goal came at a great time for us. It did Mike and uh, I want to go right back to you and then I'll go over to Max when we talk about the goal by uh, Glenn Murray five minutes later because again it's five minutes later. This 2-0 did not last that long and uh, the reason why I want to ask you is because uh, we've talked about this a great deal. It's the style of play for Fulham and um, the announcers kept talking about game management throughout the match having to really deal with the game and managing it correctly. Fulham play one way, and it's the Jokanovic way. And this mistake from Lamarchand, there are a couple of ways to look at it. Is this just a silly error by Lamarchand, or is this part of how Fulham play, which, again, these things are going to happen. Again, he, he makes the mistake. He's blamed for the mistake. But is this also a style situation that we're just going to have to deal with, Mike? I'm curious your thoughts about all that which led to the goal by Glenn Murray in the 67th minute, because it does start with a mistake, but it's also how Fulham play. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think yesterday was about how Fulham play that mistake. I mean, it's a player just, you know, looking to pass the ball inside or, you know, just slightly down the line without hoofing it. So we're going to play the ball on the floor. It wasn't as if it was, um, you know, a rollout or a kick out sure. by Bettinelli, which... You know, Bettinelli yesterday at least three times kicked the ball straight to a, a Brighton player. Yeah. So, uh, you know, everyone does it. And so I'm not going to blame the style, you know, but it is a mistake by the player. But it was, you know, out wide on the left. Uh, you've still got Adori and Morton on the in, inside of him. They're running at us. You know, I haven't watched the game fully back. I've seen the goal as a replay. Um, but I do have to wonder where Mensa was because, you know, Murray runs into that space. Although he's been drawn inside um, when maybe he should have kept an eye more on on Murray. And, um, you know, in the end, it's a, a fairly clear shot for, you know, an easy shot for uh, 
Murray to take. So I don't see that as a game management. It's, it, okay. you, know, you, you could argue, you know, for five minutes, five or six minutes after going two nil up, we just, you know, we don't want you advancing. We just want you to play solid. But, uh, you know, we're a passing team. We're looking to do that. But right. uh, I would like to see why Mentor was so fast down the right. Really, he was over the halfway line yep. from what I saw on the replay. And when you consider where Marshand had the ball, that seems way out of position for me. So I think Mentor can't get away without getting some blame for that if, he, if, he, if that's going to be shared out. Right. My, my point in talking about game management and the style of play is, like you said, we're a passing team. This is what we do. That's kind of where I was going on this. Yeah. And that sometimes mistakes happen. That's kind of my view on that because I think as uh, these matches go on, there are going to be situations where, just like this one, we're going to be up 2-0 and we're going to have to see this match out. And I'm curious if we're going to – careful is probably a bad way to put it, but, again, just manage it just a little bit differently than you would in, say, the fifth minute when it's 0-0. Yeah, but I think, you know, 62 minutes, we're 2 nil up. It, you don't suddenly start, you know, you've got a half hour of the game left to go. You, that's not time to shut up shop. No, you know, I'm not we saying are that. Continue to do it. Yeah, no, but if we were 2 nil up with 10 minutes to go, then, yes, there's a game management element that you can say, right, this is it, you know, let's just, you know, tighten everything. But there's still plenty of the game left, and, you know, but it's, for me, it's, it's two, mis- well, three mistakes in that in that move. It's yep. the pass, the doughy being drawn in um, and not staying a little bit further wider because the right back isn't there, which is the third mistake. So, yeah. Okay, very good. Max, over to you, your view of this whole situation. I'm glad that Mike is talking about Mensa because he was nowhere in the picture. Yeah, Mensa, uh, for me, might actually be the biggest culprit because if you're the right back, you have to – well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revise. I think Le Marchand is undoubtedly the biggest culprit here because if – Mensa, the reason he's in, he's in that advanced position is because we have the ball and he expects us to be attacking. Now, I think he's probably being a bit too aggressive because he shouldn't be that far up. But he has no expectation of Le Marchand just can, you know, you know, inexplicably giving it away with a square ball inside his own half. That's the biggest mistake in this move. And then Mike's right. There are a couple other ones when a door gets drawn in, leaves all the space for Murray. But then again, there wouldn't be that big space there if Mensa was properly covering. So it's it's a tough one to concede because it's our defensive fragility once again kind of coming back to hurt us. And the frustrating thing is it's La Marchand giving away the ball inside his own half again when there's really no cover and our defensive midfielders can't really come back and provide that. Um, and just if I got to ask Simon a question real quick because we're talking the subject of Mensa. Um, of course, the kind of high profile deadline day, you know, controversy, call it what you will, was that Fulham were apparently in for Martin Montoya, the bright and right back. And then Tony Khan said, well, hold up, let's get Mensa instead. I like him better. Uh, what have you made of Montoya so far, Simon? And, you know, based on, I guess, yesterday's match, would you have taken him or Mensa? Um, great question. Montoya's good. I like him. He's done a lot for us so far. He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing spectacular. He's not provided an assist or he's not got behind the fullback. But, but he's, he's solid. He's solid. I like him as a player. But I've got to take you back to... Um, was it Michael Max? I'm so sorry, but whoever said at 63 minutes you don't shut up shop? Right. I've got to disagree. If you're away from home, 63 minutes in, you do shut up shop, and you do it in different ways. I'd have brought Sessignon on it. 
because he can hold the ball up. He can run around like a headless chicken for a while, but it, it uses a minute uh, here and a minute there. And maybe, uh, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but if you're turning up away from home, 63 minutes, yes, you do shut up shop. And because you believed you could score more, that's why Murray got in. Our goal was a mistake. Dunk, he messed up. He's back from injury probably too soon, but he's a fan's favourite. And how many times have you done that? When you bring a fan's favourite back too soon, he's not quite fit enough. And normally he's 100%. And Dunk was 95. And that's enough for you to get your goal. And then Murray's goal, the first one, was a mistake by you. That was kind of give and take. But if you shut up shop on 63, would it have ever happened? You have to ask that. Okay, very interesting there. And um, Max, what are your thoughts about what Simon just shared there? Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, I think the one thing that's a bit controversial, I think, is I would have taken off Mitrovic. Um, really? 60, because I don't know if you guys saw this, but he was absolutely gassed. There are times when he was when Brighton had the ball, and he just didn't have anything left in the sink. He was just walking um, when he was defending. And totally no disrespect to Mitrovic. He worked his socks off the entire match. He should rightfully be exhausted. But he didn't have the fitness in that last 20, 25 minutes and sometimes you need a striker applying the first line of defense, pressuring players, because for them it was so easy just to get into our half. Because Mitrovic, I guess he was saving energy for the attack, which I think is a fair point. But I just saw him walking. I thought he was totally out of, out of gas. And maybe I would have, um, Procession and Shirley, sure, bring him on. Um, maybe move someone else to the attacking midfielder, play a false nine or something. But I just thought Mitrovic was exhausted. Okay. Mike, I want to go to you because Max is bringing up a very interesting thought there. Your thoughts on what he has to share, and also if you want to respond to what Simon just shared. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll respond to Simon first. And, yeah, we're just not that – Savita is not that kind of manager. Like I say, 60 minutes, you know, the tradition is you shut up shop away from home. And I said, you know, if it's 2 new or 80 minutes, he might do that. But we've seen time and time again, if if – Jakanovic uh, has a weakness as a manager, then game management at certain times um, is possibly one of them. So, uh, you know, and, we, and we've become accustomed to not shutting up shop. So, uh, you know, and that's what gives our sort of freewheeling style, if you like. So uh, that's back to that one. You know, me as manager, yeah, 2 0 away, you tell everyone to write, just calm down, just stop. But, uh, you know, that's just not our way. <laughs> so, sure. And with Mitrovic, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't have taken Mitrovic off. Actually, I thought he, you know, he was, he was working the uh, backs really well. What I would have done, and I was thinking it maybe just before Murray scored, or maybe certainly just after it, I would have brought Kamara on actually for Vito and um, given us yeah. someone who could break away with pace. At least that's that's what I would have done. Um, I agree with but, that. Mike. You know. Yeah, but he went with Johansson and, and Fess, and uh, again, you can possibly see why. But um, yeah, for me, it was Kamara. I, I wanted, you know, in that heat, uh, and it was really hot there yesterday, um, especially second half as the sun uh, came more and more into the uh, stadium. And yeah, I, I would have thought Kamara would have been a better choice. Okay, very good. All right. Let's go a little bit further in, and uh, let's talk about the substitutions. You guys are already talking about both of them. 73rd minute, you have uh, Johansson coming on for Anguissa and Sessignon coming on for Vieto. And uh, shortly after, in the 76th minute, you have the shot by McDonald. And uh, then just a few minutes later, you have the save by Bettinelli. So 
This is all leading up to the situation in the 82nd minute. And Simon, I'm going to go to you before we talk about the penalty on uh, the situation with uh, Mitrovic. Again, we were talking about Glenn Murray, so I'm going to go back to you. Let's call what it is. He forced a foul here, correct? <laughs> yeah, that's what he does. Well, incidentally, I was on the train after the game, and I was told that we got offered Mitrovic for $22 million and turned him down because we didn't think that was good value, which is obviously a complete schoolboy error <laughs> on our behalf. He's never going to track back, and he's not a good defender of the ball, but he will get you 15, 20 goals this season, and that may well keep you up. So for that, he's absolutely invaluable. But Murray, yeah. in his own way, will do the same for us. He might not even get 15 goals, but he'll get 10 goals and five penalties. Because he's crafty. <laughs> I hate to repeat myself. Yeah. You've got to look at your left back. I mean, both our penalties were in your left back position. Whoever's whoever's over there in the left back position, whether it's a striker coming back or whether it is your genuine left back, you've got two penalties in your left back position. And that's a weakness. And statistically, that's how the game ended up a draw, isn't it? Okay, very good there. All right, let's talk about the penalty. Mike. I want to go to you first. I know, again, it's uh, pretty far away from you, but what are your thoughts about this? I just want to ask you because, uh, as I said on our uh, full-time show, what was interesting here is that Cal Martino, who's a commentator here for NBC Sports, said he did not believe this was a penalty because it was not intentional handball. That was just his view. I disagree. I've actually slowed it down, and uh, you could see his – of the ball hitting his biceps. So that's just my view on it. So I'll ask you, first of all, what, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? I think it's a penalty. Do you think it's a penalty? Well, firstly, it doesn't have to be intentional. <laughs> Otherwise, it'd be hardly any given. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, I thought the reaction of, I can't remember who it was, the player closest to Mitrovic, uh, when it was a Fulham player closest, didn't, really complain too much and, and looking at the replays it's penalty so I've got no argument with it it's, it's a stupid mistake and uh, you can't blame the son because he had his back to it um, it was a misjudgment he wanted it yeah. on his chest and it was slightly, slightly to his left so uh, as I said earlier two, two strikers involved in penalties and uh, you know it's disappointing absolutely but um, yeah it was a mistake by Mitrovic and um, yeah. And, you know, that's weighed up by the fact that he did score the second goal and, and led the line well. But uh, it goes back to a current trait we have where, you know, Marchand's been pillared for making that mistake um, and so should be dropped, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but he played well the first couple of games. <laughs> you know, Mitrovic gets away with it for scoring a goal. Bettinelli kicks the ball out three times straight at players. But no one wants to mention that because he made a penalty save. So, you know, all players make mistakes. We're all humans. Yes. They're not, you know, it's not a computer game. So, yeah, but incredibly disappointing. And it made it a really, really tough last 10 minutes. Uh, yeah, it did. You know, making Very it good all. point. The Brighton fans found their voice. And, um, you know, in the end, we got away with it. And I thought the substitution, the, the last substitution of Chambers coming on, no one knew what the, the formation was for that. For that last five or six minutes, it was uh, it was all a bit of a okay. Very good there, Mike. And like we mentioned, you guys are already talking about it. Glenn Murray scores in the 85th minute, and then Max, I'll go to you. In the 87th minute, you have the uh, opportunity from Sussignan, and again, just 
maybe not hard enough to really test Matt Ryan, but this is the last opportunity for Fulham. Your thoughts? Yeah, I really want to – I'm really fascinated to see how Sessignon reacts uh, in the coming weeks because I think he's going to have to really fight. As Mike was saying earlier on, he's not going to get that automatic starting spot. And stuff like this is going to be so key to how his play adapts to the Premier League. I thought this was a superb run. And if he scored this, which he was very close to scoring, he just gets a bit more on this. That's one of the goals of the season, considering uh, the situation and how well he totally just sold two brand defenders, left them for dead uh, in the penalty area. Um, that shows how he's working, I think, on his one-on-one attacking play. Because some of my critiques of Sessignon in the past have been kind of drifts out of matches. He doesn't really take matches by the scruff of the neck. And he is more of a poacher than a winger who can beat people. On this occasion, he showed he can, he's working on his dribbling skills, his attacking players. Um, you know, I thought he was superb. I thought he's just gotten lucky with the finish, which just got stuck under his feet. Um, and just to go back one second to the penalty decision, sure. because I, I, I'm not going to talk about the handball. I'm going to talk about kind of the build-up to it, because I was just watching this again thought I wanted to make a comment. So Mitrovic actually wins the initial header clears it for the free kick, then runs out. And I think Lawson, for me, has to call Mitrich off the ball. Because Mitrich comes running from the six-yard box all the way out to the left side of the 18-yard box to then handball it. But Lawson is actually in a better position, I think. And as a center back, I think he should call Mitrich off. I think he has a better angle on the ball and say, listen, Mitro, you're a striker. This is my area. Let me, let me do the clearance here. And I think that might have avoided the penalty decision. Just another look at that. Okay, very interesting thought on that. Mike, what do you make of that take from uh, Max? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, communication issues maybe again, but um, I, I think momentum-wise, probably Mitrovic, um, you know, had the right to go for it. But uh, yeah, I, I completely understand where Max is coming from. And uh, if it was Mawson, then, you know, as the domineering centre-back that we hope he is, then, you know, maybe he should have been a bit more vocal. Okay, excellent. All right. And um, let's just wrap this up by just saying the match obviously ends 2-2. It's a draw. I'm, I guess no one's happy with, with the point. I Like I mentioned, I'm not happy. I said at, on the full-time show with you, Max, that uh, I would have taken a point beforehand, and I got the score right, and you would think I'd be happy, but I'm not happy. And as Simon said, they're not happy either as uh, Brighton Hove Albion fans. So no one's really ultimately happy. But we'll all take a point, and uh, we'll see where it takes us all. But let's finish up by talking about man of the match. And, Simon, I'll give you the honors because I'm curious, who was your man of the match for Brighton Hove Albion? Then we'll talk about Fulham. Well, Russell, before I mention the man of the match, can I, can I just say that I have an immense sure. fondness for Fulham. Fulham was my first ever away match with my oh, dad okay. in 1979 80 season. We won 1-0, Paul Clark. And Fulham was also my son's first ever away match. And it was oh, after wow. Sanna Hippiard had taken us to the bottom of the division. And, and, um, and uh, Jonesy took over and we won 2-1, 2 I can't remember at your place. But that was my son's first ever away game. And what I love about Fulham is you play football. And I've got to be honest with you here, Russell. Yep. I would rather go down playing football than stay up being like Stoke or West Brom. I believe there that you. the reason the game... The reason the game ended tall yesterday is we had two good footballing sides who are not yet strong enough to beat the top 12 in the Premiership because the defences will make mistakes. But I believe all the time that you lot and us lot believe in playing football rather than shutting up shop, we have a chance. 
I think if you just park the bus, you might stay up, but every game is a bloody miserable affair. So <laughs> so you do some good things. You've got a fantastic bunch of fans. You've got a fantastic little oh, ground. You're a proper old school football club. I wish you all the best. I would, if it's between you and me, I'll have you go down. But if we can both stay up, I'll be chuffed a bit. <laughs> Thank you very much for that comment, Sam. Who's your man of the match? Man of the match for me is Glenn Murray. If you score two goals in any game, especially to come from 2 0 down, you're man of the match. But I'd say special mention also to Anthony Knockhart, who I was yes. disappointed when he got taken off. Saw that. He looked very upset that he got taken off. I'm glad that you mentioned that. All right, guys, over to you before I go to you. Just want to mention the, the Friends of Full Man of the Match poll. And I'm looking at it right now. I believe it's still going on, but I'm just going to give you the results so far and uh, get your thoughts on that and who's your man of the match. And the leader right now is Sari with 36.9% and 79 votes. That is followed by Bettinelli with 22.9% and 49 votes. And after that, you have Alexander Mitrovic at 15.9% with 34 votes. So that's how this poll breaks down. Mike, over to you. Who's your man of the match? Yeah, I've given you some full break. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Siri. And, um, yeah, because he just uh, put out a little dink. And, and basically, our, our best play, he was nearly always involved in them. And he's, uh, he's a permanent fixture. I still can't, you know, I see some people still tweeting, you know, when they're picking the midfield that, you know, it's a, maybe he shouldn't start. And I'm like, you know, I don't know what game you're watching. What? But, um, yeah, Siri. Uh, okay. Mitch Rich would have got it, but. You have to deduct points for uh, giving away a penalty like that. Sure. Okay. Max, how about you? It's a tough one because this is one of the matches when there's no one player that had a superb performance. I guess Seri is, is the best of the rest. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly going to say Glenn Murray. I'm going to be honest. I don't think a Fulham player deserved a man of the match. Wow. No, nothing, nothing wrong with us. I just don't think there's one standout individual performance. I thought it was mainly a team performance. And I thought Glenn Murray, uh, in all aspects of the game, he really made a difference. And I think he was my man of the match, in all honesty. Okay, very good. All right. One final topic. Simon, over to you. I, I like to rate the manager from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, obviously. So I'll give you the honors. Rate Chris Hutton's <laughs> job for this match. You could talk about preparation or just overall game management. What would you give Chris Hutton for this match against Fulham? Every week. Even if we lost 3-0, I would give Chris Hutton a 10 because I thank, I thank God, I thank, I thank everybody for Chris Hutton because he's a proper, proper coach and he's not a drama queen. He's not somebody in it for the money. He loves his football. He's understated. He's humble. And yet he knows his football. So, I mean, your, I, I, your guy's brilliant too because he loves yep. playing attacking football. He's not trying to defend in the Premier League. He's gone up nope. there to actually make a difference. And, Chris Hewton, if we lost, there's no, there's no player in the Albion side who I would not have let go ahead of Chris Hewton. In other words, the manager is more important than any of our players, in my opinion. Wow. That's very interesting there, my friend. I'm glad that you talked about Chris Hewton. I have much respect for him, and uh, I'm glad it's working out at Brighton for him. He's done an excellent job, and you should be very proud of the team that he's built, and he is a very good manager deserves more credit than he gets. So I'm glad that you talked about him in that way. Over to you, Max. What would you give Savisa for this match? I'll give him a seven. 
I thought I disagreed with some of the selections uh, from the off, particularly LeMarchand coming in um, and having the, Brian on the bench. But I thought, you know, the rest of it was, was, was pretty good. I think he gets high marks for keeping the same front three. And I think putting in Angisa in the absence of the injured Kearney was, was a smart decision. It worked out well. Yep. Um, yeah, and we didn't get a win, but I think a seven is a fair decision. Okay. Mike, how about you? What would you give Savisa? And also, feel free to talk a little bit about what Simon had to share about us playing attack and football and Brighton playing attack and football because we've talked about a great deal. It's very interesting the way that he puts it. He would rather go down than play a style of, like I guess you could say, like a park-the-bus type of football. We don't play that. Brighton don't play it. So I'm curious your thoughts on that and also a rating for Savisa. I'll start with Savisa. Yeah, I'll give him a seven pretty much for the same reason as Max did. Uh, like I say, the only difference uh, sub-wise is I would have probably put Kamara on uh, when he made the double change, and I'm not sure about the Chambers um, and what happened to the formation for that last five minutes. Sure. Um, I understood why he made the changes, and it's all about him seeing how these players can play, and it's also good for the fans as well to, you know, we, from Marshan, we can see what he can and can't do at left back, and we're seeing more about Mensa, what he can do, you know, in the fullback position. So uh, it's all a learning curve for, for all of us. Uh, with regards uh, Chris Ewan, as many know, he was on the short list. He could possibly have taken over at the time Kit took over, um, and there were question marks about him being okay at Championship level and a bit dour. Um, in the uh, Premier League, but he's shown at Brighton that uh, you know you can you know mix it a little bit, and uh, you know he's a good manager. And uh, you know if he joined us with Joel, who knows where we'd be now? But uh, I, what I'd say is, yeah, we want to continue playing like we are. Um, you know, there's this, you look at Cardiff today losing three-two, um, and the way they went up. I, it's not all about results. It's about entertainment. It's about enjoying what you're watching. Um, you know, I've had many disagreements with fans when it's, oh, it's all about results. I don't care if we won, win one nil and, you know, go long all the time. I don't want to see that. And if we go down playing this style, at least we have a style. But, right. you know, I, I don't think we will and I don't think Brighton will. I think there's, you know, more than three worse teams than both of us. Oh, I totally agree with uh, that. Yeah, so from what I've seen in the Premier League, which is still, I will continue to say, is bloody hard, and it oh. is harder than it was when we came <laughs> down five years ago. You're totally right, Mike, and uh, it's funny because before we started recording, I was watching that Cardiff City match, and they're still the same side. I'm going to tell you this right now. They're the exact same side, and I could not stand watching them last season. I have a hard time watching them again this season. Uh, I would rather play the way that we play. That's just me. And to your point, I don't see either Brighton or Fulham going down. And uh, I want to be entertained. You guys who pay all that good money at Craven College deserve to be entertained, and that's what you're seeing right now. And I like love the style of play. So I hope it doesn't change. I don't think it's going to change under Savisa. Let's see where it takes us. All right. Fantastic show. Mr. Greg, before we go, just thank you for doing this. You joined us at the last minute. I really appreciate it. No, it's fine, Russ. Thank it's, you. Uh, I couldn't do the post match. I couldn't do the post match because um, I was queuing up yep. <laughs> to get a train. And uh, as Simon will know, leaving the uh, 
the Amex Stadium is uh, is a bit of a challenge. But I just want to say something about Brighton. Sure, go um, ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, the, it's one of the, the best places to go as an away fan. The service on the um, in the away end downstairs is, is first class, and even the sort of fan zone outside is excellent. And, you know, the bars stay open a little bit longer after the games because they know everyone's, you know, trying to get away. So, you know, the best thing to do is to let the crowds go and then, and then following them. So, you know, Fulham could learn a lot from some of the service we got yesterday. Um, I know every home fan, every ground has its own issues, but just purely from an away fan at Brighton yesterday, I'm, I'm not going to knock their stewards because um, they were good. But the, the service downstairs was excellent. Okay, excellent. Max, over to you. Your thoughts of uh, just what we shared here, and just thank you very much for doing this. Yeah, no problem. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. And, yeah, I have, I have a lot of respect for Brighton as well. And I'm really glad Simon brought up that his son's first away match at the Cottage because I was actually at that match. It was like the festive period in the 2014-15 season. And we did get soundly beat 2-0 at home. Uh, Kit Simons and Chris Heaton were facing off. And uh, yep. we're a long, long way from that match now. It's amazing to see how far the two clubs have progressed in just a matter yes. of years. Um, and I think we're both in for some productive Premier League spells uh, over the next couple of years. I totally agree. And Simon, big thank you for doing the show with uh, with us today. Uh, you were fantastic. And uh, I just want to share this about Brighton, and you might not be aware of this. Anyone that's listened to Koshak knows this. I have talked incessantly, very often, about Brighton, how I wanted Fulham to do things similar to how Brighton did how they just found ways to win matches. I've talked glowingly probably way too much about your side because uh, I, I, I like what they've done. We play different styles. We both attack, but we don't do it the exact same way. But I think in the end, we find ways to win. We're both in the uh, Premier League now, and may it long continue for both sides. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love you guys. I love Fulham as a club because you're like brothers. The thing is, we can never compete with the top six. The money, the ridiculous circus that those lot are playing in. We'll never be able to compete with that. So the only thing we have is heart, soul, and a slightly different way of playing. In other words, attack. You know, attack. Don't be technical. We can't be tick-attacker. We can't do all that sort of nonsense. All we can do is believe in each other, have a team spirit and address them, and we'll give it a damn good go. And I think that we'll both stay up. We won't even be in the top half of the table. But I think we'll both stay up because we've got the right idea about how to survive in this premiership. And I respect Fulham, and I love Brian, and I really appreciate the chance to talk with you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, and this has been a great show. So all of you guys, thank you so much for doing it. But let's wrap this up for... Mike Gregg, Max Cohen, and my guest here, Simon Cox. I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for listening to Cottage Star. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.